So good morning, everybody, or whatever time zone you're in. Um, welcome to our Sunday Bhagavatam class. I have very good news for you. Today, we're going to start the prayers of Queen Kunti. Uh, the prayers of Queen Kunti in the first canto, which are some of the most beloved prayers and verses in the Bhagavatam. <clears throat> so we'll begin. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So, um, the first verse today is 1818, Canto 1, Chapter 8, Text 18, Prabhupada Kijai. Kunti Uvacha. Is that right, or actually, is it supposed to be verse 17? One second. Whoops. It's the verse before that, sorry. It's verse 17. So, Brahma Tejovi Nirmuktair Atma Jaik Saha Krishna Yam Pryana Vimukam Krishnang Idamaha Pratasati. So, <clears throat> Kunti, here called Prata, another name for Kunti, together with uh, Atmajaihi, her sons, Atmajai Saha, together with her sons, her sons, the Pandavas, who were Brahmatejovinir Muktair, who had been freed from, saved from the power, the Brahma power of Ashwatthama's weapon. So Kunti, Prata, together with her sons, who had been saved from Ashwatthama's Brahmateja weapon. Uh, and Prita is here called Sati. Prabhupada translates this as chaste, devoted to the Lord. Uh, Sati, a spiritual lady, basically, an advanced spiritual lady, Sati. Uh, so she said, she spoke this to Krishna, who was Prayana Abhimukam who was uh, heading, who was about to depart. Abhimukam means that someone is about to do something, they are intent intending. So Krishna, who was just about to depart, who was intending to depart, who was engaged in departing uh, because Kurukshetra is over this whole, I mean, you think of all the things that Krishna did, he came, to uh, see the Pandavas and then at Kurukshetra, the whole battle was fought. Uh, all the funerals had to be done. It was just, I mean, imagine all these heavy activities. And so now finally Krishna is about to depart. He's going back to Dwarka. So Priyana, and so as he's about to depart, Kunti addresses him. These, of course, are the famous prayers of Queen Kunti. Kunti Vacha. <clears throat> Kunti said, Namasye Purushang Tadyam Isharang Prakite Param Alakshang Sarvabhutanam 
antarvahiravastitam. So Kunti begins by saying, I bow to the person, the original person. So Adyam Purusham is basically the same as Adi Purusham, Govindam Adi Purusham. So I bow to you, the first person, the original person. Very beautiful. Namasye Purusham Tadyam. I will just mention in passing Namasye, something like a poetic form of I bow. Uh, anyway, I'm going to all the Sanskrit grammar, but Namasye. Uh, is a poetic form. I bow to the original person, to you, Ishwaram, the Lord, Prakite Param, beyond material nature. So this is important <clears throat> because Kunti was involved so, so intimately with Krishna. He, uh, she's Krishna's aunt and her sons are the Pandavas who are practically Krishna's best friends. And so this is a very close, very, very, very close family circle with Krishna, Kunti, the Pandavas. And yet, despite all this constant association on, you could say, superficially a human level with all these emotions, still uh, Kunti says right at the beginning that you are beyond material nature. So she wants to clarify immediately that I'm not addressing you in a pastime conception that you are my nephew, that uh, you are the cousin brother of my sons. I'm addressing you as Purusham Adyam, the original person, the Lord who is beyond nature. So she <laughs> makes that very clear that I've engaged in all these pastimes with you, but I know who you actually are. And she says, actually, Ishwaram Prakite Param, the Lord beyond material nature. Alakshan Sarva Nam Antar Bahir Avastitam. And this is ironic that <clears throat> you are situated within and without, you are inside and outside of all living beings. And yet you are a laksham. Prabhupada translates invisible, uh, not recognized, unrecognizable. So here Krishna's everywhere. He surrounds us. He, he's, he's outside of us. He's inside of us. He, he totally, he's everywhere. He completely surrounds us internally and externally, and yet we can't see him. We can't recognize him. So this is, of course, a great irony. Uh, I have a disciple named Alaksha. The word Alaksha means invisible, unobserved. Uh, yeah, just not recognized. So it's interesting because Kunti, though, does recognize Krishna. Krishna is within all living beings. He surrounds all living beings outside of them, thus situated. And yet he is a laksham, invisible, or they can't, unrecognizable. And yet Kunti does recognize him. Kunti does recognize him. So 
then she says, Maya, so why can't every, now she's going to explain why people can't recognize it. Maya javanika chanam, because you are covered by this javanika, this curtain, or this, uh, you are covered by this curtain of illusion. You are covered by this curtain of illusion. Achanam means covered, and javanika means curtain of maya. You are covered by this illusory curtain, and therefore, agyadhoksajam, to the ignorant, to the agyas, to the ignorant, you are adhoksaja, which Prabhupada, of course, explains means adho in adhoksaja. Adho means downward, and aksha is the eye. But since uh, vision is so prominent among our senses, aksha also can just stand for the senses, and jam is born or rising from. So all of that understanding or knowledge, which jam arises from aksha, from our senses, adho, it goes down. In other words, it's useless in the presence of the Lord. So therefore the Lord is called adhoksaja. And Kunti says, you are adhoksaja because we see Krishna everywhere. You know, in, in, in Hare Krishna, Krishna conscious, in Krishna conscious culture, we have pictures of Krishna everywhere in our books, on the walls, uh, people wear shirts, so, so, and that is Krishna. So Kunti Devi here says, Agya, <coughs> for those who are ignorant, you are adhoksaja uh, to the ignorant. And you are avyayam, you are everlasting, you never perish. And, and in the previous verse, Kunti said that Krishna is alaksham, uh, invisible, but now she explains to whom Krishna is invisible. In other words, he's not invisible to everyone, but he is invisible to certain people, which Kunti is now going to explain. She says that, um, you are not visible, you are not recognized to those whose vision is foolish. Prabhupada says here, by the foolish observer. So by the foolish observer, you are not seen, you are not perceived. That means there's a lot of fools in the material world, which is of course the case. So basically, it's a world of, of, of blindness. It's a world of blindness. Like we chant that mantra, Oma Jnana Timirandasya, that I was in the darkness. Timira uh, Andasya. I was blinded by Timira. Timira means darkness. Anda, blind. So... It's a world of the blind, even though, of course, there's light, there's sunlight, there's all kinds of light. But, but still, in terms of seeing what is ultimately real, of seeing what is most important, uh, it's a world of the blind. It's a world of the blind. And so Kunti says here, you are not seen by, you are not recognized by the mudha drasha, by one who's uh, the vision, the observer, foolish observer. And then she says, and this is very important, this is a, a line I quote a lot, uh, just as an actor 
in costume. So nutta, nutta uh, can mean an actor. And from the word nutta, you have the word natya, which is the costume of an actor. And daro, wearing. So anyway, I brought this up in the context of um, how we should present ourselves to the public and making the point that even when Krishna appeared 5,000 years ago, however he dressed, he was in costume, which Kunti Dave says right here, Nato you're just like an actor in costume, fitting into the world in which he appeared. So also Nato means that Krishna plays the part of or played the part of a, of a prince. He never actually, it's interesting, Krishna chose not to be a king. Ram Chandra, of course, became a king, but in, in the Lord's appearance as Krishna, he remains a prince, and his friend Arjuna is also a prince. So it's interesting, you have this friendship between princes. Anyway, so Krishna appeared like an actor in costume, and he was so good at playing his part that he was not recognized by people who had, were just foolish, muda. The foolish could not recognize him. So here you have the word mudha, drisha, uh, foolish observer. And then uh, you have the word agya, Krishna is at hoaxaja for the ignorant. He's covered by this curtain of maya. So Kunti is explaining actually very clearly why the world in general could not recognize or appreciate Krishna, even as he walked among them, even, uh, I mean, the people of this world. So this is a very interesting and prominent uh, part of our teachings. The Bhagavatam talks about this a lot, actually. So, uh, Kunti says, Tata, similarly, Paramahamsanam, Muninam, Amalatmanam, Bhakti Yoga Bidhanartam Katam Pashimahisriya. So, uh, Prabhupada's translation of this is You yourself descend to propagate the transcendental science of devotional service, which is Bhakti Yoga Bidhanartam, unto the hearts of the advanced transcendentalists and mental speculators who are purified by being able to discriminate between matter and spirit, which is not literally in Sanskrit. How then can we women know you perfectly? Katam, how, Pashema, can we see you, he, Sriya, the ladies? So um, here, Kunti is comparing the women, not to men, but to the highest Paramahansas, the highest Paramahansas, the, the most exalted pure devotees. She's not saying that women cannot see as well as men. That's not what she's saying. But she's rather speaking of Paramahansas, the most advanced devotees, Muninam Amalatmana, sages who have pure souls. So, and, and Kunti will even say actually later in her prayers, in, in these prayers, that she will pray to Krishna to free her from her attachment to her children. It is often, or the Pandavas, it's often said that the mother's love is 
most powerful in this world, but that means it's also most binding. That's the other side of it. It's also most binding. And so Kunti herself will say that I have this powerful mother's love, and yet I want to come to pure Krishna consciousness in which all of my feelings are based on the ultimate spiritual reality. So, uh, another way you could take this, tata paramahamsanam muninam amalatmanam, if you take it as being appositional to, sorry for the grammatical language, just for those who understand these things. Um, actually, never mind. That's too much grammar. So, uh, anyway, that's this verse. The sages, pure devotees, or pure souls, the Paramahamsas, uh, Bhakti Yoga Vidana, in order to establish Bhakti Yoga, Artham, for that purpose, for the purpose of establishing Bhakti Yoga. Bhakti Yoga Vidana Artham, you've come here, so therefore, uh, how will we, ladies, how can we see you? The fact here is that Kunti is seeing Krishna. And so, so really what she's asking, so in a sense, if you take this verse to say that women cannot be on the level of Paramahansas, Kunti is actually refuting that. She's actually saying that's not the case because she is seeing Krishna. She's not saying to Krishna, how can we see you in the sense that there's no hope we'll see you. Like, you know, we aren't these male Paramahansas, therefore we're not going to be able to see you. She's actually saying the opposite because she obviously is seeing Krishna, and many other women are seeing Krishna. So many women were seeing Krishna. And so what Kunti is really saying here, because she says that Krishna, you came uh, to, to establish bhakti yoga among the Paramahamsas, the, the Munis who are pure souls, and yet I and many other women are seeing you. And we do understand bhakti yoga. Obviously, it would be absurd to say that Kunti and Draupadi don't understand bhakti yoga. So actually, what this verse is saying is that there really isn't a difference. In fact, the gopis are the most exalted devotees, not the Paramahansa yogis. The gopis are considered the most advanced devotees. And of course, Kunti also has seen Krishna. So she says, how is it that we are seeing you? And of course, the only possible answer, this is a question, katam, how? And Krishna says <coughs> in the Bhagavad Gita that I am equal to all living beings. He says that actually quite a few times. So when Kunti says, how can we be seeing you, we women, the only possible answer is because you women who are seeing Krishna are in fact equal to the Paramahansas. So uh, that's what the verse really means if you look at it carefully. So now at this point, uh, Kunti is in ecstasy and she just begins glorifying Krishna. She says, Krishnaya, Vasudevaya, these are all these words ending in Aya. It's called the dative case in Sanskrit grammar. It means unto, Krishnaya, unto Krishna. 
Krishnaya, Vasudevaya, Devaki, Nandanaya, Cha, unto the joy of Devaki. One of the ways of saying uh, a son is Nanda, like, uh, which means so here, uh, Nandana, excuse me, Devaki, Nandana, also Krishna's called Nanda, Nandana, and so on, Yashoda, Nandana. So Nandana, from the same root as Ananda, means the joy. So it means son, but as the joy. So a, a good son is the joy of the parents, or a good daughter, of course. Krishnaya Vasudevaya Devaki Nandanaya Cha Nanda Gopa Kumaraya, the cowherd boy of Nanda. Gopa means cowherd. So Gopa Kumaraya, Nanda Gopa Kumaraya, Govindaya Namo Namaha. So Kunti is in ecstasy. Queen Kunti, and uh, interestingly, she says, of course, Krishnaya, which is Krishna, his name, which he used inside or outside of Vrindavan, Vasudevaya, Devaki Nandanaya Cha. The first two lines use names of Krishna that Krishna used, especially outside of Vrindavan, Vasudeva and Devaki Nandana. Vasudeva means the son of Vasudeva, and Devaki Nandana means the son of Devaki. Those are his parents outside of Vrindavan. So you, in two lines, you have those names, and then Nanda Gopakumarai, then you have Vrindavan names. The coward boy of Nanda. Govindaya Namona Maha. Another interesting point here is that because clearly Kunti herself has a, a relationship of Vatsalya Rasa with Krishna because she's an aunt. It's like, you know, it's parental affection. And therefore here she glorifies Krishna uh, almost, let's see, one, two, three of the five names are names of Krishna in relation to his parents. <laughs> so she's Seeing Krishna from the you know as as in parental love, Krishnaya of course is just Krishna and then Govindaya. So Krishna and Govinda are simply his names. But in terms of the names which specifically refer to Krishna's pastimes, and we have three of those: Vasudeva, Devaki Nandana, and Nandagopa Kumara. They're all names of Krishna in relation to his parents, and so we can see how Kunti, Kunti being his aunt. That's natural uh, that she's seeing him that way from the point of view of the older generation. Krishnaya Vasudevaya Devakinandanaya Cha Nandagopa Kumaraya Govindaya Namona Maha. So, if there are any questions, the questions can be sent. We'll do one more verse. Namak Pankaja Nabaya Namak Pankaja Maline. You may notice the word Pankaja in all four lines here. Uh, Panka is uh, still used actually. Uh, in India, they say punk is like the, like the thing they make the incense stick out of. Uh, and so panka means mud or dirt or clay because, and ja, because the lotus, even though it grows in the water, 
the lotus actually grows out of the sort of the a lake bottom, the mud, that because you know in a lake obviously the bottom is in contact with water all the time, so that sort of muddy substance or earth is called panka, and so panka ja, born of panka, is a word for lotus. So, uh, so Kunti here says uh, obeisance. I bow to one of notice <coughs> latent uh, lotus navel. Of course, obviously, our English word navel is connected to the Sanskrit word nava. So Pankaja Navaya unto the lotus naveled one. Uh, I bow to Krishna as a lotus garland, Pankaja Maline. Namak Pankaja Nitraya, lotus eyes, I bow to the lotus eyed one. Namaste, Pankajangraya, I bow to the one of lotus feet. So Angriya's feet, Angriya means unto the foot. So if, if you sort of follow Kunti's prayer here in the four lines, she begins in the middle of Krishna's body because these are very conscious things, which are taught in the Bhagavatam. You meditate on the form of the Lord. You go in certain directions. So Kunti begins meditating on the middle part of Krishna's body, the lotus navel. Then she goes up to the chest, the lotus garland, one who has a lotus garland. And then she keeps going up the lotus eyes, so it's from the midsection, navel to the chest, uh, to the eyes, and then finally back down to the feet. So it's very interesting uh, movement here in Kunti's meditation on Krishna's form. Namaste Pankajangraye. And of course, we know in the other parts of the Bhagavatam, like the second canto, the a devotee is actually instructed to go in certain directions in the meditation, begin at a certain point. And so that, that is Kunti's meditation. And uh, so having, in a sense, glorified Krishna and explained who Krishna is, in the next verse, 23, Kunti is going to begin to, she's going to remember what Krishna actually did in this world, his pastimes. So the next verse, 23, it's sort of a new section of this meditation, or these prayers, the prayers of Kunti, so we'll do that next week. And let's see, we have, we have a few questions. Some men in our movement argue Kunti is a pure devotee, therefore we wouldn't be able to ever be in her level. Well, guess what? There are lots of men in this movement that aren't pure devotees. So that argument's kind of silly, frankly, because men and women join the Hare Krishna movement with a certain level of Krishna consciousness, whatever that may be, past lives. Krishna talks about this in chapter six of the Gita. And they try to serve Krishna and try to practice bhakti yoga. So most of the men in the Hare Krishna movement, I think it's safe to say, are not Paramahamsas. So if the women are said to be, as Kunti says, and we know it's historically true, the women are seeing Krishna as much as the Paramahamsa men. So if the women in our movement aren't on Kunti's level, well, the men aren't Paramahamsas. So uh, I'm not sure 
the argument, of course, is to always present. I, I have no idea what the argument is trying to show since it doesn't seem to show anything. It seems to me that by coming as pure devotees in women's bodies, Krishna wanted to show us the body doesn't matter. Absolutely. Very good point. Is that correct? I think, yeah, I think it's very correct. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's a very good point. If Krishna wanted to establish the point that, you know, it's all about men, women just kind of shut up and follow the men, uh, then why are, first of all, the greatest devotees in Krishna Leela are women. Here we have Queen Kunti offering her prayer. Uh, and there's so many great women. So, yeah, I think so. This, yeah, I think your point, whoever sent this question, is um, it's a very good point. It's obviously true. So, next question I will translate from Spanish. Uh, so, So, characteristics, in, in particular historical moment, the characteristics of this planet really resemble the spiritual world. Is there evidence of that in the scriptures? Uh, internally, yes. Externally, no. In other words, um, in Krishna Leela, there are pure devotees, and those devotees are just like the devotees in the spiritual world. As far as the external characteristics of how the devotees dress or whatever, the characteristics and historical moment, uh, no, actually there is not evidence that it's just the spiritual world coming down, because as we know, Krishna appears in different ways in different times. Even let's say like the way Krishna dressed and the way Lord Chaitanya dressed are very, very different. Their customs, what Lord Chaitanya actually, I mean, even if you look at Lord Krishna's sadhana at the end of the 10th count of the Bhagavatam, it's like, you know, a day in the life of Lord Krishna. He gets up, he does this, he does that. He says certain prayers. Uh, Lord Chaitanya was different. So the evidence we have is Lord Chaitanya and Krishna and other appearances of the Lord fitting into the historical moment in which they appeared. But as far as internally, their pure devotion, yes, that is like in the spiritual world. So another one uh, in Spanish, this curtain is yoga maya or mahamaya? Well, in this case, it's mahamaya because it separates us, what well, separates conditioned souls from Krishna. So we can understand that the prayer for detachment can play a big role in the art of bhakti yoga. At the same time, there's yukta vairagya or utility as the principle. How can one maturely understand these paradoxes in their proper context? Because they're the same thing. Because yukta vairagya is still vairagya. Uh, so that so the word vairagya means detachment. So there's no you could say conflict between detachment and detachment. The word yukta vairagya means detachment, but it's detachment which still connects to or is engaged in, actually yukta there, I think I'll even translate engaged, uh, detachment which is engaged in Krishna's service. In fact, if we are 
if we claim to be detached and we're not serving Krishna, we're not really detached because we're still attached to our own peace or comfort or whatever, whatever that comfort may look like in the case of a person. So yes, vairagya means detachment. So detachment, it, it's just it's just detachment engaged in Krishna's service. So does Kunti also come in Gauralila? If so, as which, I don't know. You'll have to read the Chaitanya Charitamrita and see if anyone is identified as Kunti. Uh, Bhavananda Roy is Pandu in Chaitanya Lila, which in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, Lord Chaitanya twice tells Bhavananda Roy, the father Ramananda Roy, that he is Pandu. Of course, Pandu's wife is Kunti, but I don't know if that how that works. So yeah, you'll have to check that. So translating Spanish, what is the real Vedic culture in relation in the relation between man and woman? Oh, that's very simple. The real Vedic culture is first of all mutual respect, because women are souls as much as men are souls. And in Vedic culture, you you see the soul and not just the body. So the first point of Vedic relationship between men and women is they see each other as souls and therefore there's mutual respect and uh, neither one tries to exploit the other. I think that's a very good place to start. And both the man and women, both the man and woman understand that the whole purpose of this relationship is to help each other to love Krishna. So that's the relationship. And then, you know, men and women have different natures. Even in, in Krishna's marriage as well as queens, uh, if you look at Rukmini, for example, Rukmini was shy, was a bit shy and reserved, whereas Satyavama was very outspoken and very bold with Krishna. And so if you look at the real world or even the real Vedic world, People are real people. So should a wife just always be shy and reserved in, in her, in around her husband? Well, if that's true, then Satyabhama wasn't a good wife. And yet she's Krishna's wife. She's the most exalted, liberated soul. So how can Satyabhama not be a good wife? So in the real world, men and women are all different. Men and women are all different. And that's reflected when we look at the Shastras and, and look at marriages. Of course, if a man wants to keep a woman, uh, he has to treat her properly. And if a woman wants to keep a man as her husband, uh, she has to behave accordingly. And of course, sometimes people think, well, this person is demanding of me behavior, which I just can't do. It's, it's I can't do it. I'm not going to get into all that, of course. You know, what point does a marriage just become impossible for one or both of the persons? Uh, I'm not going to, you know, get into that, the dharma of divorce or anything. But I will say that in general, it's much better for a man and woman, man and woman that are married, not to get divorced. It's certainly, like, I mean, you can't, you can hardly say how much better it is for the children. We have an enormous amount of social science to prove that. So um, men and women, if they are devotees, if they take Krishna and Krishna consciousness seriously, 
they really try very hard to somehow or other make a marriage work. And what that means, it doesn't just mean the woman just always has to shut up and, and do whatever she's told. It doesn't mean the man has to, it's just, you know, two adults that just have to talk to each other and figure out how they can live together so neither one goes crazy. I think that's basically it. So it seems that the man took the position of leadership by mutual accord and not because he's superior by an agreement. Um, if, you, if you go back to very simple, I mean, if you think of society and its most fundamental or basic things, the man, in almost all cases, has to protect the family. It's, it's very difficult uh, to take care of a baby or take care of a child or a woman and also you know, fight to defend the family, especially when on average, the number I heard is that men have twice the upper body strength as women. So clearly we know that men in general, on average, tend to be much more aggressive than women. They're more, they tend, they're, they more, they have more tendency to be violent. Almost all the violent criminals are men, you know, the overwhelming majority of them. Almost all the military people that fight, almost all of them are men. So there, there are natural things. Women are better at raising children in general. I mean, there are exceptions, but in general, women, this is science now. I'm not giving, you know, this is actually real science, real social science. Women in general, just, <laughs> they're better at that stuff. Domestic things, raising children. And it doesn't mean that's all they can be good at, but they are usually better at that. And so there are natural gender roles. They may not work for everyone. And if they don't work for someone, they just don't work for that person. You know, that's life. But it would be absurd to say that men and women are on average the same. All of the science says that's not true. And just as you have some people who deny climate change, you have lots of people who are into gender issues who deny science about gender. They just, because it doesn't fit their dogma. Anyway, so the real relationship between men and women is that they should just be kind to each other. They should be kind to each other. They should do their best to help each other and it all works out. If people are kind to each other, then things will naturally come to where they're supposed to be. So is it possible, from translating here, is it possible that in some universal creation, everything is backwards where Vishnu or God is a woman and Lakshmi is a man? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, Vishnu is Vishnu. It's not that he, I mean, of course, Krishna does come as Mohini Murti. I don't know of any, I mean, maybe there's some pastime where Lakshmi comes as a man. We have Lord Chaitanya, who is Radha and Krishna together. Uh, but in general, Krishna is called unchanging, abhyaya. He doesn't perish. Uh, material things are always changing, but Krishna is always the same. So uh, I don't think we have to worry too much about that. So uh, anyway, I think that that's all the questions then. Got a little bit into gender issues there. Anyway, thank you all very much for uh, listening, attending the class.
and you're all also welcome to come back next week. Hopefully the world will still be here. Hare Krishna.